Oh, welcome to the T-Rex Talk. I am very excited today. I uh, have a special guest, Jay, of... Uh, you probably know him through Pew Science. He also is on Instagram as The Jay Situation and has a podcast called The Jay Situation. So I'm I'm a huge fan of the work that he's been doing in suppressor, uh, basically quantifying professor, uh, suppressor performance, but also uh, not just grading them, but also kind of teaching everybody what the different parts of suppression are. So Jay... Uh, great to talk to you. We have chatted several times in the past, but this is our first non-face-to-face public conversation. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's funny because we're, we are face-to-face on the video here. <laughs> yeah, I know. I love what yeah. T-Rex Arms is doing and, uh, it's really cool. I actually just found out about you folks within the past, uh, year or two. And, uh, it's so cool to see the ecosystem that you guys have built and all the different things you've done. So, uh, it's an honor to be on the podcast here and um yeah well thank you so much yeah I'll, i uh, i will recommend to uh, our listeners if you're listening to this podcast perhaps you like podcasts and uh jay you have a great podcast you go over uh a lot of the a lot of the detail that is in your your articles your scientific articles you go into in sometimes more depth or sometimes in uh more explanation which guys like me find find helpful um, you recently were testing, for example, the YHM uh, T2 Turbo. Yes. Uh, I read the article and then I listened to most of the podcast and I was like, ah, I, this, cool. this actually, they go well together. Cool. Uh, fleshed out a lot of the information and helped me understand it better. So, um, oh, so yeah, good. you produce a surprising amount of media for an engineer who is focused <laughs> on a kind of a niche area of the firearm industry, I would say. Yeah. And I mean that in a, as, 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 a, as a series of compliments. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. And it, it's it, actually, it's a, an observation that I guess I know, I know that my output is high um, relative to most folks that do it, but I guess I don't really think about it until folks say it to me. And you're not the first one who's told me, they're like, man, your output's really crazy. How are you doing? And I, and I, um, I guess I got in a rhythm where, I knew that when I started the sensor, when I wrote the sensor sound standard, and I started testing, and I started publishing my work publicly there online, I knew that people would start to expect a certain cadence, and then um, I also wanted to keep the research going, and then I had started the podcast before I had launched that data, and I knew that if people were going to get the most out of the data and analysis that I published, I was going to have to give them some kind of supplementary discussion in plain English because a lot of the information is pretty high level technically. And a lot of people aren't used to um, digesting that level of technical rigor in a written form. Um, But I I can't sacrifice that rigor because it's very important that it's all written down and published for the uh, what I call the pedigree to be correct and complete because I this is being peer-reviewed by scientists worldwide um, inside and outside the firearms industry. Um, firearm companies um, have reviewed the data. Um, certain silencer companies have reviewed the data. So I think that if I continuously publish, I kind of, it's kind of a package deal. I got to do the podcast. And I got to do the articles and they kind of go together. So, yeah. Well, and there's a, a huge amount of testing that happens, which is no mean feat either. Yeah. Um, and the, the amount of work that it takes to actually do <laughs> collect the data, 
do the analysis, create the written material, publish the written material, and create all the graphs and the charts and et cetera is um, is, is pretty great. Uh, and I have to say, I think that it's kind of a breath of fresh air for the gun industry, particularly when it comes to silencers. Silencers are, are a particular interest of mine, but they are this weird little niche part of the gun industry. Up until very yeah. recently, uh, they were believed to be illegal. And it, yeah. it seems like there's been a bit of a renaissance where people realize that suppressors are, in fact, attainable. Uh, and uh, you can actually file paperwork and get them approved and own them and possess them and shoot them. And and you've brought that awareness to a whole new level where not only can you own a suppressor, you can actually quantify its performance. Yeah. And uh, this is kind of a kind of a kind of a new idea for a lot of people, myself included. Yeah, it's um, it's funny. Uh, there's a there's a lot of things to silent silencers in the silencer game in the United States that um, people have tended to learn as they kind of as they go everyone kind of you know grew up watching television you might see a silencer on a on a gun in a spy movie or maybe an action movie and you might you know and you hear the little yeah yeah, pew, pew, yeah. And you hear it and you're like oh that's so cool you know as a kid you really love it and so that's really the that's pretty much the extent to which most people get familiar with suppressed small arms and so um you know i got into it and i you know did mess with them professionally early in my career. And when I, as a consumer, you know, looked at, at, at getting silencers for my weapons, there really wasn't a lot of good technical information published about them. And the technical information or the product performance data that was published was a bit incomplete. Um, and and of the information that was more complete, it lacked, um, I guess I would say meaning. It, it didn't really translate to something I could really understand. Like they would give me a number or give me a metric and they'd say uh, it's such and such peak decibel level. And I and I say, OK, well, lower probably means better. And so people would would do that. They would say, oh, this silencer has a lower measurement in the, and they wouldn't really tell you how they got it. But they would tell you this is a lower measurement and, and that therefore it's quieter. And then you would what you would buy the silencer, you would find some niche local class three dealer somewhere that lived near you you go to his basement or something you get you get he get the silencer out of the safe there was no silencer shop back then right you know you go you right. go to the safe you he pull it out on the counter you say this is it. okay you you do all your paper documents and you would mail it off and you'd get your form four back the the, the dealer would get the form four back probably in a couple months it really wasn't that long of a wait um you know uh, many years ago in those in those early in those early days, days, you yeah. would just get it back and and you would get the silencer and you would shoot it and not a lot of people had them. But then, as you would get more and more, sometimes you'd you'd find a buddy that knew a guy that had a silencer and you could compare them. And I remember getting silencers together and shooting them. And I remember hearing the different ones being shot without hearing protection and thinking to myself, "Man, this the way this one sounds is is not represented at all by what people told me." It, it sounded like. I mean, there's got to be a way to quantify this better. There's got to be a way to rank these systems. And I took a, I took a long vacation from firearms, and I, I didn't really involve myself with them a lot. And I came back into the game, and I wanted to go buy the quietest stuff for my rifles. And I went, and I went to the internet and Googled and quietest silencers, and I bought some, and ended up they weren't really quiet. And so I... Uh, mm-hmm. 
I got kind of, I was like taken aback by the amount of misinformation that had increased over the years I had been away from it. So it, it started off not that good and it just got worse. And so I, I just thought, man, I, I think I could make a difference here. I think I could change it. <laughs> so, Yeah, and I, I think this is a really cool trend. Uh, you are probably the best example that I can think of in this particular area. Um, but overall, just in general, I would say that one of the really neat things that has happened with the Internet is that firearm knowledge has stopped being forbidden knowledge. Yeah. Um, and people have stopped treating it as if it is forbidden knowledge. Obviously, there's still people out there who gatekeep. There's still people out there who, you know, talk about stuff that isn't available for public consumption, whatever. But in general, the amount of people who are talking about body armor tests, suppressor tests, uh, filming video through different types of night vision tubes and explaining what the different blemishes and, and FOM, you know, what those things mean with visual examples, like all of this sort of archaic hidden knowledge is becoming um, much more commonplace and much more comparable. And I think you were doing it at the highest uh, scientific study level. And I really appreciate that because I remember um, so my background is not firearms or engineering. Uh, it is film and mm. television and animation. And so I knew a little bit about audio from a audio recording and mixing perspective. So I knew that there's a lot to sound. Yeah. It's not just loud and quiet. There are different frequencies of sound. Yeah. And if your sample rate isn't high enough on your recorder, you don't actually even hear the peak of the sound effect that you were trying to capture. That's so right. yeah. when I would look at silencer ratings in the olden days, I'd be like, man, I just don't know what what frequency were they measuring and was the sample rate high enough to hear the thing mm -hmm. that was the most loudest? And is the thing that is the most loudest actually the most damaging to my personal ear? I just have so many questions. So yeah. it is fascinating that, that, that you have stepped up and across the board, a lot of people have stepped up in the firearm industry to try to understand some of these really complicated things like night vision, uh, explain how they work and then document different types and then explain, you know, give examples so that people can, you know, see a wide example of things like on your site, scores for lots of suppressors. And then if they know one guy that has a suppressor, they listen to that suppressor, see all of your data and they're like, ah, context. Yeah. Now I know that I want a Sandman or I want this or I want that. Yeah, that's so powerful. That's It's such a good point because... You know, information's always great. We always love information, but information with context, that's where the power is because what and, – and before you couldn't do that because you, you brought up an excellent point. You say, gosh, we might be missing part of uh, uh, an acoustic wave or a pressure wave because we're not sampling fast enough. Okay, so let's sample really fast. Well, how fast do we need to sample? Well, there are some rules. There are some rules, scientific rules that we follow about – how fast we sample based upon what we would like to recreate from the waveform, um, what type of wave shape we would like to create. There are some rules. So um, I decided to sample um, very fast, um, as fast as I could practically with some certain limitations, as fast as I thought I needed to. Um, we can go faster. We just don't need to go faster right now. So I picked a speed. And then um, by doing that, I'm able to capture the entire window in time of the entire combustion event. So when I do all of the analysis and I boil the entire event down 
to um, what I call the suppression rating, which is the number you see in the rankings table on the website where folks can compare apples to apples. I've done it so that you can actually compare all those numbers to each other. Whereas before, if you had a peak transient that was happening just very over a very short amount of time, it was a fleeting moment in that entire waveform, trying to compare compare that one peak to another peak measured from another waveform in an, in another time period it really it's it's sometimes contextual but off, but most more often than not it's not so you need a you need an overall metric that captures the whole waveform and so that's what the suppression rating does so now you're right if your buddy has xyz silencer and you shoot it on your hunting rifle and your other buddy has a scar and he shoots a different silencer, and you can have the, the two completely different sounds. But if you have a suppression, mm, yeah. if you had a suppression rating for both measured at the same location, the hearing damage risk potential would be comparable, and that often correlates to perception. Although perception can sometimes be clouded, so it's the best we got. So we focus on objective inner ear response, and that's that's what the standards focused on. Yeah. So that I think is. Again, I've said it before, tremendously helpful. And uh, I've also just just appreciated, you know, coming from a non-engineering background. And I'm now fairly involved in manufacturing yeah. and engineering of tooling and things. I have actually really enjoyed uh, the journey <laughs> <laughs> of, uh, of this and, and getting to kind of nerd out on some of these things and really think about what the nitty gritty details mean. But uh, in, in many ways, that journey feels, uh, my personal journey, feels similar to one that a lot of folks have gone on in the firearm industry, where we went from anecdotal data and FUD lore to, as the, as the information has become less uh, secret, and firearm, uh, firearm hobbies are, are no longer a thing that you hide. They're actually a yeah. thing that you talk about on Instagram and Facebook, yeah. uh, to the extent that the overlords allow that, of course. That's right. Um, <laughs> People with with uh, understanding and areas of expertise, and people who have context for how how these things could actually be tested or measured, come uh, come along and are like, "Hey, I I see that you are interested in X. Uh, I actually have spent the last ten years doing fluid dynamics research, which allows me to cool. explain to you what is happening inside this combustion chamber." And all of us, you know. Sort of, <laughs> sort of basement nerds are like, oh, you can, you know, a combustion event takes place over time and not in an instant. Tell us more. <laughs> like, there's tools that 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 have been designed by rocket scientists to measure this stuff. Yeah, it's wild. Show us pictures. Right? Yeah, yeah. So, so it's it has been really fun to watch um, people who who have a, a high level of understanding in adjacent fields come along and explain some of this stuff to uh, to those of us who are interested and don't really have the background. Yeah. And uh, the number of folks who latch onto this information are like, ah, now it makes sense. That light bulb moment uh, is just super fun to see. Yeah, and I think, um, I think with any type of education, it's all about how it's presented. And I, I do realize that, I mean, I, I do get some feedback where, you know, people will read my articles and they say, hey, man, like, I do not understand this. And I'm like, that's okay. I do a podcast and I will totally explain this to you. And some people are like, you know what? Podcasts aren't my thing. And I'm like, you know what? I respect that too. Shoot me an email. If there's something you don't understand, if there's something you would like me to explain in a different way, um, I can do that. And everyone learns differently. Everyone learns at different speeds. 
Some people have to hear things a certain number of times. Some people have to have thing you know concepts relayed to them in a way that um, is in a different context. And I and I I really don't think anybody interested in firearms or suppressed weapons is like too dumb to understand it. They just need to have the patience and the passion to want to know. And if you don't want to understand it, I have run in, I have definitely run into some folks like that in the industry, particularly where they don't want to know. They just want, they just don't care. And, I, <laughs> and I'm like, that's cool, dude. Like, this isn't your sauce. Like, you don't like the taste. That's fine. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So well, I'm, I'm that way about certain things too. Like I am, I am fascinated by radio communications and I'm fascinated by the idea of encryption yeah. When I actually start to talk to cryptologists, I'm like, no, you, no, I, I don't actually want to understand anymore. I don't know why, but I suddenly lost all interest. <laughs> I, I, yeah, this algorithm is boring. There's way too many. I don't like it. <laughs> I understand. Uh, there was a joke. I used to, I used to work for the government, and and we had a joke. They they said, how can you tell an extrovert NSA analyst from an introvert? And they would say that the extrovert NSA analyst looked at your shoes when he talked instead of his own. <laughs> and I found that funny because a lot of those those cryptographer guys um, or, you know, the signal analyst guys, which isn't too far removed from what I do, is uh, they're they're kind of out there. But uh, what they do is amazing. And I, I like you, I, I find encryption technology to be fascinating. But yeah, I'm not really interested in doing it. <laughs> yeah. There's, yeah. there's a lot of stuff that I want to get under the hood of. And uh, that's, that's theoretically one of them. But in real life, actually, no, it, it turns out to not be one of them. Do you ever feel like as because you're a techie guy, you, you get fascinated by these, you know, things that involve with technology or whether it's how a silencer works or radio works or whatever, do you ever feel like you you really want to know a lot of stuff, but you just don't have enough time to figure it all out? Oh, absolutely, yeah. A ruthless yeah. prioritization uh, has prevented me from going on a number of deep dives that sound super fun. But the good news is um, my kids are getting old enough that when they are interested in stuff, now I can kind of justify that a little more. So as my kids oh, get older, good. I think we're going to we're going to we're going to do hobbies. I actually have a theory. Um, one, one of my one of my theories and maybe I'll record a podcast about it is that uh, I don't have time for my own hobbies anymore, but I have kids. Uh-huh. My kids are going to have hobbies. That's right. Those are going to be my hobbies. So, yeah, maybe they'll pick cool ones. You never know, right? Well, I I feel like uh, I I am slightly <laughs> you know hand in this already. <laughs> I yeah, <laughs> I guess to, you, uh, you can play God a little. You can be like, you know, gosh, um, wouldn't it be cool if you learned this martial art? And you're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> or something? I don't know. But um, but no, I, that's, hung, a, that's really cool. I hung a drone up in uh, in my son's room. Oh and, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, he already loved drones. Oh, that's so cool. we're already we're already on that path. Man, yeah. drones have gotten crazy. I was on social media the other day, and there's this gentleman. I think his name is Nick. I think he writes for the Firearm Blog, and he. Has, oh yeah, Nick Chen. Yeah, Nick, Nick Chen. Chen comes up on this podcast a lot, and I. Nick is a friend of mine. I can't oh, believe cool. he had been on the podcast. You are, I think, the third or fourth guest <laughs> That's <funny>. to uh, <laughs> to talk about how cool Nick is. So, or he, maybe maybe the running joke of this podcast is he will never be on here. We will always we'll just talk, talk about, about him because he 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 talked to me earlier today. We were talking about the HK four sixteen because he saw me. I posted one today along with my podcast because I I got this like 
this wild hair to build an HK416 clone. And because Brownells released these parts kits, so I went and bought a bunch, and I was messing with it. And he, I guess, has messed with one already, too. And so he was asking me, he's like, hey, man, like, how are you running that as a machine gun? Because it has... Uh, because typically the HK416 bolt carrier has a, um, I, I believe it's a firearm pin safety that, so you need a special hammer so it can cycle. And he had done that with, I don't know, something else, or he had like a rare, like a rare breed forced reset trigger or something. But, but what he didn't realize, I think, is that the BRN system has a, the, the Brownell system has a carrier that, uh, can work. Um, it has that safety removed, so it can work with any trigger group. So we were talking about oh, that nice. today, and he was he was showing he was telling me I should get a forced reset trigger, and so, because I just got a <laughs> I got a um what did I order? I think it's coming this week. HK sells an MR five five six, which is a semi automatic um version of the four sixteen. It's kind of neutered and everything, but yeah, I I don't want to turn it into a machine gun because I have to mill the pocket for the auto sear and everything. So it's like I want it. I wanted. I built a clone 416 to use it as a machine gun, and now I'm buying the real HK that's not a machine gun. So it feels weird. It's like, uh. <laughs> no, I, I I hear you. I yeah. <laughs> so Nick knows all about that stuff. Nick's like on the cutting edge. So like I saw him. He's fascinating. He is doing some of the best work. He's actually who I had in the back of my mind when I was talking about guys who get these weird esoteric night vision devices. Yeah. And then document not just like the specs but take pictures of them, comparing them to other devices, showing different lasers and illuminators through each device. Like, excellent. He really stuff. does a great job of looking at the practic- practical things. And when you were talking about drones, that's what reminded me, going back to that, so I don't lose my train of thought. He, he has put incredible... He's been doing thermal drone stuff. And I'm really mm, into thermal, yeah. um, thermal sighting systems. It's something I've used a lot um, for... Uh, predator control and invasive hog eradication in Texas. Um, and I just love, I mean, who doesn't love to see in, in infrared? I mean, it's like one of the coolest. Like ever yeah. since you're a kid, it's, you know, you're like, you want to use it. It is a that. superpower. It's a sure. superpower. It turns into a superhero. So um, I saw he was posting and I don't know exactly the systems he's using, but he's using them on drones and they're, he's having them autonomously navigate to set waypoints, and he's navigating in with long re- and it's and he's viewing long wave infrared. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm like, that's pretty high tech. So I, I, yeah, I, and he's he's doing it in a way that fascinates me, but I just don't have <laughs> I don't <laughs> have the patience for what he has built because what he has done is he is he is flying his Mavic. His enterprise level Mavic okay. with the thermal camera package using ATAC. And then he's giving it waypoints using a laser designator that talks oh. to ATAC. Now, this is theoretically simple and easy, but there's like eight different versions of ATAC uh. that work with certain plugins, and there's certain plugins that don't work with certain versions of ATAC. So good on him. I, that is exactly the kind of project that I love. You'd think it would be right up my alley. It's the sort of thing that I want to play with. And, and I think it's great that people like him are showing consumers what's possible. And yeah. there was there was something he posted the other day. It was like yesterday, the day before or something, where someone got really upset with him because he posted a video or something about a technology that I guess, guess happens to have some ties to military technology. And the guy kind of got yes. all high and mighty and was like, I'm going to 
tell the authorities. Yeah. The, yeah, the guy assumed that his thermal laser rangefinder spotter package that he was using was uh, liberated, tactically uh, resourced uh, from a military base. I see. And uh, got really, yeah, got really uh, hot under the collar that he would he would have bought something like this on the black market. Yeah. But um, what, yeah, what most people don't know is a lot of this stuff is not restricted. Um, and if you are a civilian and you do the right paperwork, you can totally buy it from the exact same person that is selling it to the military. And there's nothing sketchy about it at all. But yeah, but most people don't know that most people assume that this stuff is restricted. I've talked to a lot of people who think that night vision is uh, mil- military only. And yeah, uh, it, the only restrictions are, are, are actually uh, export, right? ITAR. Yeah. The ITAR stuff. So, so there's uh yeah, removing some of these stigmas, I think is um, is really helpful and good for our community. Yeah, it's important. Uh, but also just to let people see the possibilities and yeah, and I think it is helpful when Nick does stuff where he builds out a thing that works, and then you know if you let your imagination run a little bit, you would say like, oh, well, I'll bet you these other drone systems have a similarly capable integration uh, with other stuff that I know is out there. So I think it's really helpful people, uh, you know, showing people that they could you know, maybe connect the dots on some of the information that isn't out there, have some assumptions on like certain things that are, you see being used in different conflicts, how they might work with other pieces of technology and absolutely gets the gears turning, which is fun. Yeah. It gives knowledge is power. You know, I wouldn't know half the stuff I know without, I think people just having the motivation to share. I think that's something that's important that we need to do in not only the firearms community, but I think this is probably applicable to life where you, if you're passionate about something and you feel that something's cool, sharing that with others is key. You can't just keep everything to yourself. Yeah. You know, you gotta, you gotta help educate folks. Um, I, I think I see that with, with, you know, I tell you, man, T-Rex arms. I, I had no idea who you guys were. I was, I was, and I was, I'm like, never watch YouTube or anything. And so I start doing stuff in the science industry and it's like, okay, I need to know what's going on. So I go to YouTube and I see the Grantham guy, and he's a very nice person. I met him, you know, I, I talked with him before. <laughs> yeah, Mike is, he, uh, is he's yeah. very nice. I like him. So I, I got, I, you know, I saw him and I got, saw this, I got, it opened this ecosystem. So I was like, okay, who, like, what's going on with these, these very large YouTube channels? And then I see this kid and he's doing these movements with his rifle. And it looks like he's a robot. I swear to God, I'm looking and I'm like, who is this dude? <laughs> I'm like, he literally looks like yeah. an aimbot from a video game. But back when I used to play, like when I was a kid, like a long time ago, when remember that game Half-Life? Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Half-Life, Half-Life death matches were my first first person shooter uh, multiplayer experience. We pro- we're probably similar in age because I, I, I got the <laughs> Counter-Strike beta. It was like beta 0.7 or something like that. And I played Counter Strike. I was in, I think I was in undergrad in college or something. It was like 2000, 2001, something like that. Oh yeah, that's that's exactly when I was doing uh, that exact same land party thing. Yeah, I was doing but like Quake with, Three uh, with Day of Defeat. Yeah. yeah, I was in like Quake Three Arena and like Unreal Tournament and like all these like Twitch type games where like, I know that Twitch is a thing now, but back then we called Twitch gaming like the fact that you're. Your head's on a swivel. So yeah, I see this kid on YouTube. It's Lucas. He's on YouTube and he's he's shooting. And I could not believe. And and and, it, and it's not that it was just. It, it, yeah, he's a good shooter. 
fine. It wasn't necessarily him that I was surprised at. It was a world that I really, I was not in this tactical world of like, I was just like, I like guns. I like shooting guns. Target practice is cool. Um, I, you know, I actually used to work for the military, so I'm familiar with the military, but I, I didn't know that this whole world even exists. So now it's gotten to the point where, yeah, I just saw, you know, you guys did this really, really long video on a rifle. You did, you, you, it was a review. It was very good. And you're exposing all of these people to this subject where I think it's great. I mean, the amount of information people have on firearms now, it's prol- proliferating so fast. It's awesome. It's, I'm excited by it. I'm excited that there is this um, destigmatization of, of the topic. Absolutely. And, uh, and even, even the destigmatization of the nerdy engineering stuff. Like people, I think, with that, with that video uh, that you mentioned, you know, where we tested. And, and we did not do a super scientific, like, laboratory test of that sure. rifle. We did an extremely real-world yeah. test. And, and uh, I think that what T-Rex is, is best at is starting the conversation. Like, that's not the be-all, end-all video of how you test rifles. That's the beginning of a conversation. And uh, and experts like you uh, will be the guys who figure out, you know, how you do that to a high level. But this is the introduction to a more serious, measured approach of, of this topic. And then the real experts will come out of the woodwork. Yeah. Engage the audience that we have built. And explain how stuff really works. It's cool, and uh, I think that's I think that's a really great dynamic. No, it was good, um, and I one thing I liked about it, um, I watched the whole thing actually. Uh, I don't, I actually don't usually watch YouTube, not because I don't like watching video, but because I don't have I or let me. That's a very dangerous thing to say. It's because I don't allocate <laughs> the time to watch right. it. Okay, so but this time it was um, I was actually down with the flu for like a week. It was sucked, and so I uh, I was recovering. And I usually I'm um, much busier preparing some publications or analysis or something. And I had some time to kind of veg out and relax. I made myself relax, and I watched the entire thing, watched the whole video from start to finish, which is very cool to be able to do because it was a long video. And one thing I really loved was the way it was presented filmed and even you got your guy and i just i just followed him and i'm gonna butcher his name and start with the c he was one of your armors uh was it josh lowry oh that makes sense because do you do a lot of the editing and stuff or so i actually don't i've edited the videos that i am in and i have edited some uh some of the other videos but this video chad was the guy who made this video happen and kudos to chad for making a very long video engaging and uh cool and and you know make it work as a piece of content that was really kept you watching and that's been the thing that i struggle with with my videos because i pick boring topics and making making them interesting and making people be able to follow them is my it's kind of my my struggle it's kind of my my aim well there (laughs) chad did it just an effortless job with uh with this arrow video you know i had like an hour call hour long call with arrow precision yesterday um about something else and they're so cool. Or the guy I talked to was really cool. And um, I just think that's neat that he was mentioning that he talked with you guys too. Or they their company had, which I think is really cool after a video like that. Or even before the video. Yeah. And and, and our, my, our hope is, this is another thing about the firearm industry. Let me know if this is uh, your your take. And don't use any names if, okay. uh, if, if people come to mind. Okay. <laughs> I'm very new to the firearm industry as as being in it. 
Yeah. Um, it is a pretty standoffish industry. Everybody has a little bit more of a chip on their shoulder, I think, than other industries. Other industries, you know, full of jerks as well. Yes. The uh, the firearm industry does not have the corner on the jerk market. But because the firearm industry is is constantly under fire, constantly being persecuted, constantly being deplatformed, uh, I think that all of us do have more of a uh, chip on our shoulder and a little bit higher level of distrust than a lot of other industries. And uh, I think that we, we really do need to kind of fight against that tendency because I, I – <laughs> I think it's totally understandable, but is that something that you would say that you've seen, or do you have a slightly different? Well, I mean, you you are a little bit different because you are a you are a professional tester. Yeah, of other but man, stuff. you know, <laughs> I, you know how like I was I texted you and I was like, hey man, I'm I'm running a little late. I got to put out a fire. Hmm. Because mm-hmm. I, I want to answer your question, but at the same time, I also want to add like my experience because i'm very 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 new to the firearms industry i have i started pew science in 2019 officially and i started publishing data analysis publicly in 2020 okay so that's only three years yeah that's infant stuff and i've been in professional practice for 17 years so my professional practice um you know 15 it'll actually in november Last month was 15 years in the private sector of, of professional engineering practice. And my other, my other experience was in the public sector for the U.S. government. And, um, and that doesn't count graduate, graduate research um, before that in graduate school. And so my engineering practice, I've always been used to, you know, the fact that, yeah, sure, there are some, some like, what you say, that the firearm doesn't have a monopoly on, what do you call them? Um, oh, just jerks. jerks. You know, there's, That's a good all, word. They're out there. Jerks. That's an excellent. I they're like that. Everywhere. I like that. They're everywhere. Statistically, we're going to run into. Uh, there is a an allocation of jerks in the human biome that we we got them. Can't get away from them. There's going to be percentage. Um, in the professional world, probably in the film world, similar to the engineering world, there are jerks. But oh yeah. You, you, uh, the jerks come across a very different way in yeah. the film industry. In showbiz, I mean, you got prima donnas, but uh, sure, yeah, they, they it manifests. In a yeah, it man- they man- the, the, the jerkdom manifests differently uh, in those in those industries. And one thing, and I've talked, I've talked about this on my podcast before, and this is one of my theories. One of my theories is um, the barrier of entry to any group dictates. Um, the level of visible jerks and the quality of the people in the group. So, which goes hand in hand, probably. Because, you know, with a super low quality group, probably going to have more jerks because no one likes jerks. So, um, you know, you're a professional engineer. You're not hanging out with like a bunch of people that are not of your caliber. And that's not something that's not to be conceded or toot my own horn. It's just not doctors don't hang out with, you know, strippers. Well, no, that's not true. They probably do, but you know what I mean? Right? Like you're, you're, you're you have demographics, <laughs> you got, you got demographics yeah. and, and you have groups. So in the farms industry, because the barrier of entry is zero, there is no barrier of entry, which is both. It is, it is the tremendous blessing and a tremendous curse. 
Mm-hmm. So you have personalities that are free to enter the industry, become extremely successful by whatever means necessary, just like any other. And then they might have very low moral qualities and those will manifest in a very visible way it, in whatever way they choose to let them. And that is, a, it, it's happened and it was one of the biggest wake up calls I ever had to endure was entering this industry and having seen it before as a consumer, but then being subjected to it personally from different companies attacking my company. It was just, it's some, and it, and, and it even happened today. And that's why I was kind of late to the call just because I, and not because I was dealing with it personally, but because I was, I had an inundate, I was inundated with communication from others letting me know that it occurred. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, you know, I had to make a decision. You know, do I, do, you know, I, I need to take a take inventory of the situation. Do I need to make a statement? Do I not? I usually don't. I usually let it ride and see where it mm-hmm. goes. Yeah. Um, and so w- when that stuff happens, it, it first it used to shock me um, mm. because I was so not used to people being <clears throat> so brazenly unprofessional. To the point where they they say things that are so incredibly unprofessional. You look at it and you think you're uh, sometimes you know. I'll, I'll, I'm just like I tell my family. I'm like I think I'm taking crazy pills. These people are off their rockers. I don't understand if they're real or not. Like the way the things they say are so incredibly unprofessional. And then I realize, you know what? They're just like that. And and there's nothing really I can do about it uh, except to keep maintain a professional standard. And keep raising the yeah, bar. Yeah, set a good example. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, what I mean? raise the that's bar. That's all you can do. Yeah, and I think, and I think that that's a really interesting point. So let's take lawyers for example. Lawyers have a pretty high jerk ratio. Yeah, but they're held to a very uh, professional standard in certain areas. So lawyers behave like jerks in ways that other people don't, because the alternative is to be disbarred. So Bingo. there, there are some controls and things that are there in in a tightly regulated uh, system. Yeah. And I actually really love that the firearm industry, you know, as a group is, has less of that uh, regulation. Now we do have plenty of other regulations. Sure. And uh, so I want to, I completely agree with your no, no barrier to entry. If you want to be in the firearm industry, start making some stickers, post on Instagram, call yourself a gun tuber. It's awesome. You are now in. Yeah. Uh, And, and, and that, that free wild west kind of nature is, is very cool. Uh, I'm glad that there's not a board. <laughs> yeah. It, Do you think either of us would be in if there was a board? <laughs> oh, no, they, we would not. <laughs> yeah. Well, and uh, what's the, the Groucho Marx quote? He's like, I have no interest in being a part of a club that would ever admit me as a member, something like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I think that there's a there's another, another part of this, which is uh, – on another level, for people who want to do serious firearm business, something beyond stickers and drop shipping, there is a very high barrier to entry. Um, there are very few industries that are as externally regulated. Like, true. If you're in the firearm industry doing actual firearm stuff, like, how many legislators want to shut down your company? Eighty percent. How many banks want to shut down oh, your company? Ninety yeah. percent. How many online platforms are you going to have to deal with that that are really hostile to your your livelihood most and so what you end up with i think is people who are really super possessive and they wake up every morning knowing that everybody is trying to destroy their company and so when a bad review comes out they're like well of course everyone wants to destroy my company why would this reviewer be any different and i think that that 
is another factor that is here for the the people who are, you know, there's plenty of people who I would say are are bad faith assumers. And then I think there's plenty of good faith assumers who who assume the wrong thing just because they are so constantly under attack. And so That's I true. really appreciate that you are, uh, you know, not only raising the bar in a, a scientific, you know, a documentation way, but uh, yeah, we we need good examples and we need we need people who are. Uh, cheerful and excited all the time at shot show i regularly meet guys and i'm like dude your business is booming how nice for you and they're like yeah but you know what happened last week oh they have focus on the negative (laughs) yeah no i i and and, uh that's my tendency like it takes it takes uh you know deliberate effort well well there's also um you know high performers are often very critical of themselves because Mm. you know you uh, yes, we learn by making mistakes, but depending on, I guess, depending on your upbringing, there's probably all kinds of psychological things. But on average, I would argue that high performers are often very critical of themselves because they want to achieve perfection. They later figure out that perfection is often not possible, but they still chase it. They still <laughs> yeah. chase it, and it's important. It's important to fail. It's important, but it's important to be self-critical. It's, and it's but, but yeah, but you also got to. Stop and smell the roses, as they, as they say. I always get told that um, I'm working. I'm trying to work on that, you know. Um, but it's it's it, it's true. I mean, I I think that raising the bar, uh, I guess, of in, in the what in the silencer zeitgeist, in the in the um, you know the silencer industry and the firearms industry. Man, I have been so pleasantly surprised with consumers and how genuinely good-natured people are when i when i do something uh, one of my greatest joys is is helping people that's one of the reasons that's like the ethos of my company that's, that's all, p-science doesn't exist in a vacuum if it didn't help people i wouldn't be doing it i mean it's a lot of work so <laughs> it's really hard right yeah you know so when i get feedback from folks that tell me that i've helped them and you know i i i actually answered an email from a gentleman today um this is a staff sergeant and special operations command um and he wrote this long email and the entire thing was thanking me for helping him do xyz and and his experiences with the suppressed weapons in his service and then him personally with his family and how his experiences were fostered and were congruent with the data I have published and da 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 and I just read that and I was sitting there and I was just like this is what it's all about man and so that gives me the faith that I know if there's one guy like that there's more and there is I see it all the time so I see all these ne- these these negative people that you know it's it's all noise mm-hmm. yeah it's all like and, and some some people are very reactive and they'll and I I'm I have been you know I'm a pretty impulsive person but like I, I've learned to kind of rein that in. It's like you can't. You just got to kind of take a step back, and <laughs> so that's my of, opinion about that. <laughs> there's a lot of signal into the noise. Yeah. Well, I was curious about your your impressions because yeah, not only are you new to the industry, not only do you have contacts from other industries, but yeah. you also have taken a little bit of a uh, lightning rod position, which would give oh, you yeah. a unique perspective. So um, I, I like to to ask this question partly just for my own selfish interest because i'm new to the industry but also because um 
I think there's, uh, I, th- I think that you have, um, you're an example with great power comes great responsibility. You, oh, yeah. you are a very visible and, uh, and I think super helpful example. Um, we at T-Rex are trying to be a good example and, uh, we, we keep changing as, as a company. Like we went from being a small holster company to a medium sized holster company. Now we're also a medium sized retail company. Um, and so we want to be good examples at all those different things. And, you know, we're a, fairly large YouTube channel. We want to be a good example of what that is. And so um, we, we are endeavoring to do that. But I, I am, you know, for as much as we can complain about the uh, the jerks uh, that are out there, I am super excited and encouraged by this new generation, Gun Culture 3.0. Yeah. Uh, the, the new industry, like it is fascinating. And, and I, I really love being, being a part of it. Um, and, you know... <sighs> I also have had some time in another industry where it's like, you know, it's really annoying when, when people are, are a, a jerk in such an unprofessional way. But I, I do like it better than a lawyer who is 100% polite and then totally cheats oh, you. Oh, that's the worst, man. When, when <laughs> they're a, polite to your in face. In a way that is oh. totally legal and will not get him disbarred. <laughs> Dude. <clears throat> you know, that kind of thing. Or in the, in the, in the showbiz industry where it's, it's actually way worse. I've just, I'm not used to it. I'm getting more used to it, but this industry is so different. And it's the Wild West. I mean, it's, it is. It's the Wild West. And one thing I know, and you said you touched on it earlier. Um, like I said, it, and you said too, it's really great. We don't have um, as many regulations because uh, if we have too many regulations, um, I think folks that are anti Second Amendment will take away, take take things away. Um, and 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 that's kind of that that that's kind of it's kind of a double edged sword. If we let's say for example we started having professional safety standards for firearms and silencers, like like design standards, like you would I don't know in the aircraft industry or in the you know in the building industry or anywhere where per, licensed professional engineers like myself are charged with protecting the public, like I don't know the silencer sound standard that gives a hearing hearing damage risk. Like if you actually mm-hmm, yeah. had that as a regulation. Um, I think that there would be politicians that would try to leverage those regulations against the populace um, and uh, specifically against the manufacturers of weapons to outlaw the weapons. Oh, 100%. And that's terrible yeah. because it's like we, we, would, we would get much better products if there were tighter regulations on the products. We would get so much better products. Cost, now, costs would go up. Labor would go up, design fees would go up, you'd have to you'd have to use licensed engineers. Your cost would go up, but the products would be more awesome. But then we might lose them all, and it's like, oh, how stupid is that? <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm a free market guy for you know yeah. a number of reasons, but that's one of them. And I think that we've actually, I think we're starting to see that in the automotive industry, and in and uh, in the aerospace yeah. industry, where politicians are like. Let's create an impossible standard because gas cars are bad. Yeah, and uh, let's just make it harder to build a gas car because it's so dumb. And it's like I just met. I was. I was. I met with one of the organizations that is launching people into space. Um, you know that was like day job stuff. And I was talking with them about things, and I just talking with them, and then talking with. NASA, who I've spoken with before, they both have a ton of rocket scientists. They're both doing incredibly difficult things to send people into orbit. And the way they speak about it 
is so much different in the private sector that it's like yeah. it's just a different like this this kind of yeah brings me back to uh, a point that I really like which is people need to be self-governing because if they will not govern themselves a bunch of folks are going to come along and govern them from the outside so if the gun industry or the firearm industry can can yes. make better safer products uh there isn't going to be this push to uh to create an entirely new yeah. uh, house congressional you know <laughs> some kind of crazy regulatory board that runs the firearm industry and sets impossible standards like micro stamping micro stamping is the perfect example of something that is physically impossible and exists purely to make guns not purchasable in California um and so uh yeah we we uh yeah we need to work on being self-governing and uh you know as individuals and as an industry and as communities because if we're not going to do that then uh, you really don't have much of an argument against you don't and i other government it, it whenever i think about you know the, the the main thing i think about with product safety um in the farms industry i mean sure yeah sponsor sponsors make guns less loud sure but Sponsor industry is still small relative to the firearm industry as a whole. And what I think about a lot of times with firearm safety, yeah. there are tons of things that can go wrong. I do think about the accidental discharges I've seen with certain handguns recently. And, and you know what? To tell the truth, I haven't like even shot a, a SIG. Was it the three twenty? Is the three twenty the one that's like having? issues or had issues it's the one that had the original drop issues yeah okay and i keep seeing people talk about them still and i'm not sure if that's like old information that's to be just being regurgitated or if it's like yeah it's a fun it's a fun meme which makes it hard to really okay determine if it just lives on as a meme or, yeah because yeah. like it almost seems like because people are talking about it so much it almost seems like just to the casual observer or the meme connoisseur <laughs> that uh, it, it, yeah. that it's like some kind of, um, you know, persistent issue, which is very disconcerting to me because it's like a handgun. And it's like, man, how can how can a modern handgun from a multinational farms corporation yeah. mm-hmm. have yeah. a safety issue? Like I don't, that doesn't even compute with me. Like I don't, I'm like, what? You know, some of uh, some of the guys here visited SIG and our engineer asked some of their engineers that very question. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not going to, I can't remember exactly, but I know that sometimes these issues are uh, quality control issues when you do, um. when you're, especially for firearms industry people, we're used to fairly small companies and occasionally a fairly small company will explode like BCM. BCM had the highest quality ARs which drove massive growth, which meant they had to increase volume hugely. So they built a new factory. They moved to the new factory, new equipment, new tooling, new hires. And there were a couple times that quality control slipped during that super rapid expansion. So, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. It's a, it's a very interesting uh, problem to solve, you know, designing within the constraints of quality control issues that you may not be able to control in the future. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no joke. I mean, you got to stay right on top of that. Yeah, and i I haven't dug into the I haven't dug into the technical reasons why the, the those failures were happening um, much, but I did a little bit. I started looking at some of the mechanisms, and I could see how you know it could certainly it could certainly manifest if you were not paying attention to both uh, quality control after a part was made, but also during assembly. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so that that's kind of like, you know, that's a labor thing too, but yeah, man. So it's a hard yeah. it's a hard so, thing to to quantify, I'm sure, when you're a company with 200 employees and suddenly the demand is so high that you could easily keep 400 employees busy making guns and sell them all and so now you really want to do that. And yeah. That's right. You really want to do that. Yeah, it's like people it's, that reminds me. People ask me, "They ask, hey, how are you going to scale Pew Science? How are you going to are you going <laughs> to hire people?" Yeah, and I always think to myself, you know, I'm like, yeah, I could, but also, um, science could science could just like go away tomorrow, right? Yeah, I think I really do think that this so this sure, this is yeah, this is definitely something that I think drives some of the insecurity in the firearm industry. Is I think all of us feel that. And we see we see things happen in the industry where the demand is high. The opportunity, like here at T Rex, uh, we have uh, over eighty employees, which is huge for a company that That's ten years big. ago uh, was one person in a single car garage. You know that is pretty yeah, rapid growth. Absolutely. And Hickman County is not huge, so we are we're not the biggest employer in the county, but we are we employ a lot of people that I want to keep employing. Uh, regardless yeah. of what happens in the firearm industry. So there's a level of pressure that is yeah. there. Uh, you know, holsters are a much safer thing to get involved in than super high-level analysis of uh, suppressors, which are a little bit more on the bubble, well, I would say. Uh, yeah, I'm a little a little fringe. Yeah, uh, but but that's uh, I think that is a, <laughs> a real consideration for a lot of people. And even, you know, giant companies like SIG, I'm sure that one of the things on their uh profit and loss statement as they were trying to figure out rapidly growing the company is like, Hey, we can employ a whole bunch more people here in this new England town that need jobs. Um, and so that's, that's a thing that, uh, probably drove some decisions. BCM, probably the same, like a lot of these little companies that are very plugged into their communities, the opportunity to grow and hire people and raise the standard of living in the town has to be weighed against, you know, the quality control issues and various other growing pains that you will run into. And, uh, yeah, it's interesting. And in some, in some industries, I have met people who could not care less about either how many people they hire or the consequences of that, because, you know, they're, they're in a giant industry and there's, there's industry standards for this. This isn't a thing that you personally decide or not. It's something that the board decides or something that this decides or is a regulatory thing or whatever. But uh, one of the cool things about this wild west of a firearm industry is most of us are not business people, so we have no experience. And there's a lot of cons that come with that. But one of the pros is I think a lot of gun people think about business in a much purer kind of way. Um, We haven't been desensitized to how you actually run business and fire people. Like if if I had sat through enough, you know, training, uh, in, you know, you hire people, you fire people. It's no big deal. Like if I, if I had, uh, done a business course in college that taught me that I would approach firing people differently than never having done it before. And then suddenly having to do no, it. No, that's, that's interesting. <laughs> you know, that's really interesting. I, um, yeah, now that I've been a consulting engineer for a long time in a, in a firm that started very small, um, its principles were kind of formed in a similar way to where, you know, they don't want to fire people if they don't have to fire. It's like they're a family, right? Yeah. You start small, you grow, you grow, you grow. Eventually, eventually, sure, you're going to get to a, be able, maybe you're become a large corporation and things, and you know. But when the inner workings of a company are still, you know, less than 200 people, 
you are still you kind of feel like you almost have skin in the game yeah with regard to like a family unit for your staff and you you feel that not obligation but you do feel like an extreme empathy mm-hmm. yeah. for like you know their lives and and their the lives of their families and so yeah i think that's really important and i think in the farms industry yeah i mean i think because some of the some of the businesses are so small and that's how they start that's yeah, probably good. Although I have heard some horror stories about some of the larger businesses. Yeah. But hey, like you said, there's tricks everywhere. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. But it is yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, you go to Shot Show, and uh, Glock has a giant booth. Sig has a giant booth. There's a lot of, and, and Shot Show is of course not just the gun industry. It is the hunting and outdoor industry. Like there's plenty of that's right giant companies that go to Shot Show, but there's all these little gun companies where there's they have a booth. They have four people on the floor and they, those are the employees of the company, you know? So that's, uh, that's, you guys seem to, I don't know how many of you folks that are family members work at your company, but it seems like a pretty close knit group that I guess has the same principles and core ideals that keep it going. So it seems like, it seems pretty cool. It's, it has been really great. I I know people complain sometimes about being involved in family business because of the emotions and so forth, but I mean, Mm -hmm. it's like any relationship. The closer the relationship, the more opportunities to, you know, rub each other the wrong way. And But I would say the benefits of pre-existing strong relationships are really good. And I think that that has, uh, yeah, I, I, I love it. I love working with my brothers. And as the team has grown... Uh, yeah, it's been really neat to be able to hire people. Uh, not that I'm encouraging you to necessarily hire a bunch of people for Pew Science, but <laughs> yeah, when you are able to hire people that bring a lot of value to the mission and are also people that you really enjoy working with, it's uh, it's it's pretty great. Um, it's not something that everybody gets to do, and so when you do get to do it, yeah. it's uh, it's a pretty neat experience. Yeah, it seems like it can be, it can be pretty rewarding. Um, I like, you know, my day job, I like to hire, you know, I hire people. And, you know, it's not the same when you don't own the company, right? Yeah. But, uh, you know, um, yeah, no, finding the passionate individuals. It's funny. I, I talked about early on, I was doing a podcast once, like, I don't know, last year or something. And I was talking about, like, I joked that I was, like, going to need an intern or something. And I got, like, probably 50 resumes. <laughs> Yeah. And I was like, whoa. And I filed them all and I responded to them all. I I responded to all the folks and told you, hey, not hiring right now, but I will keep you in mind for future opportunities. Yeah. <laughs> or whatever I thought like the official HR response should be yeah. <laughs> for a one guy, a one man show. But um, it was cool. And I it showed me the And the, I mean, some of these guys had sent cover letters, man. They had like, they're like, this is what I want to do. This is what I've done. Check it out. This is what I can do. And it's going to be awesome. I'm like this is actually really cool. And I think a lot of people are motivated. So it would be cool to become a larger test lab. Yeah. Um, and I, and this is another thing that's very yeah. cool about the, the gun industry. Like there are oftentimes you find folks who uh, could really excel at a job that would pay them six figures, like six figures is the starting price for what they would be doing yeah. in the non firearm world. And they have chosen to do something that they love instead. Something that does have <laughs> the stigma attached to it. And this, and this is getting kind of more interesting and more pronounced um, as the gun industry gets a little more technical. If you want to be a cutting edge programmer, work in augmented reality or something like that, your options are a work for Facebook 
with the best engineers mm. and the unlimitedest budget possible, <laughs> like yeah. even better than the U.S. government is some of these giant tech companies. For sure. Like the GDP of some nations is smaller than yeah. Facebook. Uh, or you can go do your own thing pretty alone <laughs> in this other field. And uh, so, yeah, it's yeah. it's uh, it's it's kind of interesting. I'm, I'm hoping that we can find... Because I keep bumping into, uh, I, I would say, more principled people, not even for the firearm industry, but guys who are like, so the best research that's being done in this field is being done by Google for the purpose of radio communication and carrier stuff. I don't want to be a part mm. of that. I'm hanging up my own shingle. I want to build something decentralized that apparently has no cash flow opportunities. <laughs> oh, man. And I'm like, I yeah. would like to help. I think that's important. Yeah. There's no percentage in it, but I, I think that's cool. Think that our communities need some of these alternative, uh, alternative uh, economies. Kind of interesting because when I was doing sound testing stuff initially, I talked with my contacts and some of the government labs about it and about some of the codes they had developed. And when I talked with them, it was basically like you're chasing a dead end. Like they're not giving us any funding anymore. Mm. Da, 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 da. It's not like they were um, demotivated because or something. These guys had worked at these research labs for like twenty to thirty years, so these are like long tenured scientists. Many of them PhDs in their fields, and seeing them kind of tell me that you know, you know, yeah, you can use this and this and this, and good luck. I was like, man, that is so crazy. I can't believe you're giving up mm. and you're the U.S. government. And you, I would, you know, having worked for the U.S. government before, I was like, yeah, I know that budgets aren't necessarily unlimited all the time, but they can, for all intents and purposes, they can be if you are convincing enough <laughs> yeah. for, you know, to figure, to, 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 to get more funding vehicles. And they, they seem to just, you know, they're like, well, there's a lot of conflict and there's a lot of da-da-da. And I was like, it seemed like they, not not that they were like a, like beaten dogs and like, you know, just reacting to like constantly being shut down. But it was more like they just maybe, I don't know if they lost the passion or whatever it was. And I feel like the private sector can really stretch its legs and just take, I mean, I yeah. took that conversation with them. I, I was very thankful for it. And, you know, and I still know those dudes but i was like okay i'm gonna do my own thing man like i'm not i i i don't i can't i can't be subject to this um philosophy of innovation stalling because of status quo yeah and i think that you know the firearms industry has some folks that i think can stretch their legs a little bit because we don't we're not unencumbered by i guess uh, tradition i don't know <laughs> yeah so. yeah no i think i think you get stuck in ruts and and yeah. it, and that free market man if the free market can be free stuff happens and stuff stagnates everywhere yeah. else so i'm i'm excited about it. and i i even um you know we we have started calling it here at t-rex the citizen defense industry like the citizen defense industry mm. has got some significant room to grow because people have responsibilities to be able to defend their families and their communities and their nations. They, I mean, they carry a lot of that responsibility. You can't just, you can't just build a giant military industrial complex and be done with that particular responsibility. Uh, That's right. And the giant, I, I've been doing some research on this, but 
military projects, man, they take forever. Uh, one of the first animation projects I worked on was actually for the U.S. Navy. And cool. that project that I worked on the very beginning of lasted longer than my entire film career and uh, slowly, wow. slowly wound its way through different committees and different funding rounds and different prototypes and moved from this place to that place, eventually ended up at Boeing. Then Global War on Terror started to happen, and then people were like, oh, we, uh, we don't need stuff like this anymore. This is Cold War era technology. And <laughs> and then finally got killed. So wow. that was an unmanned undersea vehicle that was going to go out and hunt for okay. sea mines. And uh, like DGI has come out of nowhere and invented like 50 drones in the space of time that that project went from John Hopkins Applied Research Lab to the first contractor of like 10. So the free market, even in it China, is crazy. can be so much faster and more agile than uh, than some of these big uh, monolithic behemoths. So, and I'm excited about the private sector and the citizen defense industry and yeah. Super excited about what you're doing. No, thanks, man. I like that philosophy, um, citizen defense, defense industry. I had a question about what is, because I have my I have my own thoughts on this that I kind of go back and forth on. What what's your thoughts on um, gear or equipment that's being manufactured in China? Like, do you hold that uh, gear yeah. to a different standard when? There might not be another like a U.S. alternative, or if there if it's just a knockoff. Like I don't know what are your thoughts on that. Interesting. We just had a meeting about this at T Rex. So, uh, and okay. we kind of broke it down into several categories, which I will not describe in detail because I can't remember exactly which right. ones we landed on. But one of them was quality. <laughs> we do not want to sell garbage. So that doesn't rule China out completely. There's a ton of non-garbage stuff that China makes. Uh, so the other issues would be things like cost, dependability. We don't want to be relying on China. It was very, very difficult for certain industries that did rely on China a couple of years ago when supply chain stuff went crazy. So we want to not be in that right. position. Um, and then, and I mentioned DJI earlier, we don't want to be selling spyware, which DJI drones right. are spyware. Um, so, so that's a no go there, not because of quality. Uh, not because of dependence, because of the spyware. So we broke it down into several categories to where, you know, we will sell a made in China thing and we would not like to support okay. China directly through intelligence gathering tools. <laughs> so so that's kind of where it, it breaks down because we, you know, some of the Streamlight lights are made in China or components of them are made in China. Pretty much all electronic okay. components at this point now are at some level, those components are coming from China. Like, it is a very hard thing to disentangle yourself from. Yeah, it's it's tough. Yeah, and that's why we kind of broke it down in these categories where we will be as local as possible, get the best value for the customer possible, uh, be as uh, resilient as possible, not dependent on single developers, single supply chains, and then we won't work directly with the mm -hmm. Chinese government, and we won't sell spyware. So those are kind of where we ended up, and we're drafting a little bit better internal policy okay. so that because cool. stuff changes as well like you will be getting something from one manufacturer you've asked them specifically like we want stuff from this facility and then next thing you know they're right. middlemanning it from china yeah yeah it's a line you can draw right it's a metric you can follow you, you got you know maybe you got to create something i don't know i i was thinking about it most recently 
I think about it a lot, but I was thinking about it most recently because I just got this bag from, um, you know, I guess what happens when you get into the firearms industry and you get a lot of, a lot of following, people start sending you stuff. <laughs> so someone sent me this bag and it's like a, um, it's like a, it's like a rifle bag. It can carry two rifles. Um, it's actually pretty cool. I just used it on a hunting trip. Um, we put two rifles in it. Um, and I looked at the tag and it's made in China. And I was like, wow, this is a really high quality bag. Yeah. It's one of the best bags I've ever used. And I'm thinking to myself, man, like, what does this mean? Mm-hmm. Like, does this mean that the U.S. can't make bags like this? Because I know they can. Um, I just put a big order in. I bought a bunch of stuff from a, a company in Virginia Beach that makes supposedly makes all their stuff here in the U.S. And this company's bag is, like, super awesome, um, rivaling the quality of this other company. And this is made in China. And this is actually kind of nicer than some of the other companies' stuff. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, man, like, what does this mean? And I don't know what it means. I haven't interpreted. I haven't like gone through all my thoughts yet. Yeah. But it's like I, I kind of want to understand like what it is. You well, know? we ran into some issues with uh, with nylon soft good manufacturer. I don't know if you heard the entire tale, but we were we were making a made in America plate carrier. Okay. Found a manufacturer, and then we started finding made in Mexico tags inside of these <laughs> these plate carriers that uh, we had certifications signed by the manufacturer saying very compliant, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, long story short, he was outsourcing stuff across the border. And oh. like this question of where you buy stuff when the quality is the same level is a very complicated question. Um, the issue for us was, of course, we had pitched this bag yeah. to our customers as made in America. And it was... Some of them were not, and an unknown quantity were not. So yeah, that's a problem. Yeah, I can give you the whole story. Uh, in fact, I, there you can read the whole story on the website. Uh, oh, really? It's a it's an entire saga. Yeah, there are certain things that are nearly impossible to have made in quantity in the United States, and there are shops set up in China that are capable of just really high quality work, and it is kind of a testament to the way that they have modernized their manufacturing industry and the way that we have hamstrung um, from a regulatory mm. and tax perspective some of our manufacturing industries. And uh, yeah, it's kind of an interesting position. I'm super excited about modern digital manufacturing capabilities like 3D scanning, 3D printing, CNC machines. Like that area of American manufacturing has just had an incredible shot in the arm and an explosion of new growth and competitive uh, capability. And then we had the supply chain shakeup in 2020, 2021, after all the COVID lockdowns in China. Mm-hmm. I'm actually super excited about people doing more local manufacturing, seeing more value in it than just the pure per piece dollar figure. Because the reliability of a supplier is going to have a big impact even if you're only looking at the bottom line like a, a supplier that you can get product from 12 months a year at 10 percent extra way more valuable than the cheaper supplier that's only going to be around six months of the year so i see a lot of positive direction in this area but uh, it's it's a fascinating one for sure yeah i think there's a chip manufacturer that just is going to set up shop in arizona is that Intel is it? Intel? Oh yeah, there's uh, I, there's I found there's it. Intel. It I mean, there's a couple of different 
a couple of different ones, but Intel is apparently going to be the biggest one. And then I think there's one going up somewhere near Ohio, I believe, as well. So the yeah, which is a big change for semiconductor uh, yeah. manufacturing, right? And that's and that's a huge one because if you can make if you can't make semiconductors, you're kind of hosed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you kind of need. We kind of need those. Yeah, and so yeah. if we can make semiconductors, then I feel like we can we can make anything. Uh, yeah, and with without too much interruption. <laughs> so, do you guys um, do you guys shoot silencers all the time in your? Um, I don't know. I, do you shoot a lot yourself? I guess Man, is a better question. The short answer is no. Okay. I used to shoot a lot more, and uh, I've just been busier. Some of, I understand. You know, some of that is T-Rex busyness. Some of that is uh, being a husband life. and a dad, you know, <laughs> yeah. life. Yeah. Um, so when I shoot, the rifle is always suppressed, and the pistol is never suppressed, um, okay. with the exception of twenty two. With twenty two, ah. everything is always suppressed. There's no reason not to suppress twenty two. It's right. so great. And uh, <laughs> Cool. Yeah, so so that's that's, that's cool. kind of where I'm at with with it. And then for the other guys who do shoot a lot, the T and E team, the media guys, um, it generally is it generally is rifles are usually suppressed depending on what's being tested. Uh, and then handgun suppressors, I mean, we sell the Ragnarok SD, which is in my opinion the best way to holster a suppressed pistol. I need to buy one of those. Now, yeah. The problem that yeah. that you're going to have with the Rag SD is the Rag SD. Uh, is uh, conformable. You customize it to your actual setup, but you probably oh, switch setups often enough. Well, you know what? I don't. So okay. the only reason to use a holster is to carry a weapon. So if I'm just messing around with a pistol and a silencer, it might not be a carry gun. Now, if I'm going to be like carrying around my ranch or, you know, I'm going to be putting the silencer on the gun that I carry daily. Um, it's, it's a silencer that I don't really change. Um, just, just mm-hmm. because I know it's reliable. So I would probably do that, but you're right. I think I, and I think I even commented that on Lucas's post the other day or something. It was a couple of weeks ago where I think he shot a pistol with a silencer and it didn't work well. And I was like, yeah, they don't, <laughs> they usually don't work <laughs> well. And the reason they don't work well is because they're not designed correctly. Um, yeah. But yeah, okay. I'm actually I'm actually super hopeful that uh, someone is going to design a handgun, and I've talked about yeah. this a little bit in the past, a handgun that is designed to be suppressed, to have a red dot, and to potentially accept a shoulder That stock. would be awesome. A handgun that is designed with reality in mind, not American regulations and laws <laughs> yeah you know i mean there are some silent there's there, there are some pistols that have been designed uh with silencers in mind um some of those pistols are from fn um mm-hmm. the, the yeah. fnx tactical series they um and that the 509 tactical series they're really tested with silencers it doesn't mean it's going to work awesome with your silencer but it does mean that if you were used a proper silencer it would work well um so there are some um that are better than others but yeah it would be cool uh my one of my goals i guess high level goals of my effort is trying to educate enough to where um i start to link the fire manufacturers with the sponsor manufacturers and i've had some success already with that but it's slow going 
Um, I think it's going to increase as more people understand the the content and education. Several firearm manufacturers have told me that they listen to the podcast. <laughs> so, or yeah. at least their engineering staff does. Um, I mean, uh, Aero Precision does, apparently. They were telling me, they were talking to me yeah. yesterday. And I was like, wow, that's, that's cool. It was an honor. and But I was also thinking, okay, it's working. Good. You're getting the information. I've talked to the guys at Beretta that do too. Um, some some guys at FN, so um, guys at HK. That's extremely cool. So they're they're hearing it, and they're pretty smart people because they are they're design engineers making systems, um, and they're very complex. And those manufacturers are pretty high level. So um, I'm excited about the future. Um, we just got to keep disseminating information, using the free market to do mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah. Thanks for everything that you're doing. Yeah, man. Disseminating that information, making sure that. Customers are informed, making sure that, I mean, even engineering teams, I can imagine that it would be really easy to focus on a weapon system. Absolutely. Know that suppressors are an option and not have the time or the expertise to really fully understand what that means for your product design. Uh, when it is a you know, small percentage of people out there who will do it, and there's so many different variables, and it isn't something that has been adequately studied, in my opinion, until very recently. It would be really easy to be a firearm manufacturer and only just now kind of design with with suppressors in mind. So, yeah, I'm I'm really encouraged. Yeah, um, there, there's a there's a tide that is shifting. There's folks are realizing that you can't just put a silencer on any gun and have it work. Um, the silencer industry is growing. The silencer consumer market is growing at a very, very fast rate. There are people adopting silencers, and as those people's Form 4s come, come back approved and they start to get those silencers back and they start to put it on their guns, because the sample size is increasing, you're going to see more and more issues come up with oh, yeah. improper firearm fit physics because of the, the silencer's influence in the weapon system, and the firearm company didn't talk about it, and the silencer company didn't talk about it, and they, there's a consumer. And as you know, because you guys sell a lot of stuff to people, when a consumer has a problem, they're going to start to be vocal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the internet is is both good and bad for that. It's good that that's right information gets out there. It is a little bit confusing sometimes when one guy has an issue and 50 yeah. people repost it. You're like, oh my goodness. This has happened fifty times, and uh, you're like, "This is an epidemic," and then you're, and then you're like, "Wait a minute! It's just one guy who like didn't read the instructions, <laughs> there is that, and yeah. now you got a whole like there's a there's a meme page, and they're yeah. talking about like, oh no, there's a problem with this product, and you're like, well, dude, yeah. give us a chance to talk to him.' <laughs> you know? And I think you just solve that problem with more information. The more educated consumers are, the more they realize, like, hang on, when you sell a million widgets and one breaks. It doesn't mean X or, you know, just people need to get better with reader, reading comprehension, listening comprehension. I'm sure that there are people out there who watch Lucas's video and were like, so Lucas said that Arrow is the worst firearm company in the entire world. (laughs) (laughs) I thought, you know, that's what a great example. (laughs) Well, and, and the good news is there's a million people watching that video in the comment section who are like, no, Lucas didn't say that. Here's what the actual video set so i guess this isn't that cool somewhat self-correcting problem it's it's amazing that's what it, i it love is. to see 
And your fans I love them, who go yeah. out and explain to people like, no, when he was testing this device, he did it this way. And you don't have to actually argue with everyone on the internet and be right all the Isn't time. Isn't that cool? <laughs> yeah. I this is one of, this is one of the most unintended self-correcting consequences of the Pew Science effort. Unofficially, people refer to it as the Pew Science Army because <laughs> it is a it is a team. Uh dis it's almost like Fight Club. You got these people, they don't even know they're in Fight Club because I don't tell people who the members are. I keep that decentralized on purpose. Yeah. Um, I, I like it that way. So it, so you see these organic cells forming of these <laughs> p- pockets, these pockets of people who are extremely, extremely educated. And it's only the motivated ones that become like that. It's, just a, it's a self-correcting thing. So, it, it, it's, so they grow. And when someone ends up, you know slandering you know the 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 effort or you know my effort i don't even have to do it unless, unless it's a personal thing like i have had some things sometimes when someone comes out and says something i was like okay i gotta i i have to like address this myself because this is like so like flagrant insanity you know but usually um i don't i really don't have to say anything because the consumers are so educated and they know that i'm well-meaning they know the intent they'll go ahead and 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 do it for me mm-hmm. and i don't have to do it and it's kind of takes a little bit of a load off me because gosh man you can't police the internet oh for sure yeah again one of those things you can't police the firearm industry got its upsides got its downsides yeah it's a good thing though <laughs> it is you gotta you, you really have to take the good with the bad um and it, i think as long as you do the the right thing i guess that's one one of my main tenets is if you do the right thing um i think you're always going to win you always be honest and do the right thing. I don't, I don't know how you can lose with that. Yeah. You know? Be self-governing. Set a good example. Uh, I can't think of a better way to end the show. Yeah, man. This was fun. Well, thanks for coming on. I appreciate everything that you're doing and a uh, good time with this conversation too. Yeah. I feel like we could do like many, many, many hours of this. So, well, I was, uh, <clears throat> I had a million technical questions. So oh, okay. a future episode. Yeah. A lot of technical conversations we can nerd out about. Uh, absolutely. Testing equipment methodology. No, it was a pleasure, Isaac. Um, it was very nice to meet you. I feel like, you know, since we have the video chat going, um, feel it is more personal. I like that. And I, I do enjoy podcasts in which there's a conversation. So I hope folks get something out of this, something out of my rambling. <laughs> Again, um, I appreciate the work you've been doing in the past. I'm looking forward to the future. This was a great conversation. And uh, for you podcast listeners at home, Uh, Don't forget to look up the J Situation podcast and Pew Science. There will be links uh, in the show notes so that you can find all this stuff. The best silencer information, both for individual silencers and also just the science and mechanics. Uh, You have the graphs, for those of you that understand such things, the text that explain what the graphs mean, and then uh, your podcast is the plain English (laughs) version and conversation. I really appreciate that you engage with your listeners uh, and answer their questions directly on the podcast. I think that uh, yeah. I think that you do a great job of fleshing out um, some of the, the complexities uh, without dumbing them down, which is uh, yeah, which is a bit of an art. Thanks, man. Uh, so, yeah, for those of you listening to this podcast, make sure you check out Jay's stuff. And uh, also, I'd like to answer more questions on this podcast. I just realized I'm pretty bad at that. So, if you're listening to this podcast and you have <laughs> questions, the way that you get in touch with us is probably team at trex-arms.com it's the best way to get in touch with us given that podcasts are not super 
super interactive. But thanks very much for listening. We'll be back next week. And we'll be back with Jay sometime to talk about fast transients, what they are, how you see them. Yeah. (laughs) And what they mean. It'd be awesome. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, sir. Bye, everybody.